Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week, the pros and cons of production-based pay. You do not want to miss this discussion. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And once again, this week, we are delighted to share with you a very tough topic, and that is how we get paid. Pro-sal, production-based pay, merit-based pay. You know this by very many names, and it's complicated sometimes, and is it right or wrong? We're going to talk about that, but so much more. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And if you are listening today, chances are you are familiar with the concept, at least, of production-based pay. And it kind of works like this in simplest terms. You charge a client $100. At the end of that $100, you and your clinic boss have negotiated a percentage that goes to you. So it's 20%, 22%, 25%, 27% of that $100 goes in your pocket. What are the perils of this production-based pay scenario? And what are some of the pros? And Ernie, do you want to walk us through how this system came about and what kind of the, the goals were of practice owners and practice managers who started implementing it in the first place. Cindy, 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 this is one of those stories that starts off innocently enough and ends in a nightmare as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Now, what happened was in simplest terms, and I'm going to, I'm not, I'm going to, um, I'm going to give my version of it because I was there when all this started happening. In simplest terms, vets didn't know how to pay their vets. They didn't know what was a fair salary. I mean, how do you make it? And so they stopped looking them in the eye. And I used to call this the eyeball test, right? So they didn't want to look across the table of their associate veterinarian and say, I can pay you X number of dollars a year based on whatever, because they didn't know what to base that whatever on. And so they started adopting this, this plan, this scheme, where we'd say, okay, you get about 25% of your revenue. And they're basing this off of, you know, profitability and, and overhead expenses and all that sort of stuff. But in simplest terms, Cindy, it came about because vets didn't know how to pay their associates. Absolutely. And so the thought I think was that if we start basing it on production, then we don't have to negotiate that number. And the idea, at least for me coming out of school for all the places I interviewed was, okay, well, we'll give you this base salary, but ultimately the rest of it is up to you. Right. And the base salary was very low, right? It's yes. that that's the pro sal production base and salary, but you know, uh, you have a safety net there, but Becky, so, so you've heard this right now. Have you experienced this or worked in a clinic where maybe the veterinarians were paid on some kind of production scheme? Yeah. Oh yeah. My first job out of college actually was that way um, for the veterinarians and for, For them, it had a lot to do with generational differences in work ethic, according to the veterinarian. And he truly, and while it may or may not be related to his inability or or discomfort in establishing a base pay, what he made very clear was he felt that new graduates didn't come into the practice and work as hard as he did. Absolutely. And so he wasn't going to pay them to not see as many patients and not work as hard as he was and have them bring home more money than he was as a practice owner. And so he implemented this as a way of making them work harder. Right. So this gets back to the, you get what you earn, right? So, you know, you're in complete control, Cindy, you're a new graduate. You can make a hundred thousand dollars. You can make $50,000. It is up to you, but it's really not that simple. No, it's really not. 
And I actually talk to veterinary students about this on a regular basis. And I do want to just clarify really quickly for those vet students who may be listening, who are not familiar with the different types of, of salary, kind of what these differences are. So one is just straight salary where you negotiate a, a flat amount that you're going to get paid on a regular basis. The second is, is pro-sal, which is a base plus production. So you agree to a guaranteed base number. And then if you produce a certain amount, so say if you know, 20% of the revenue you bring into the practice is higher than the salary you're getting paid anyway, you would get bonuses on top of that. Sometimes that's played monthly, sometimes it's quarterly, sometimes it's less often than that. And sometimes there is a deficit system built into that, which I do not think was part of the original intent of ProSal. But say you end up being underneath your base salary production for two months, Some places will require you to catch up to that before you can ever qualify for a bonus. And then there are places that just have you on straight commission. So regardless of, you know, it's always going to be based on how much you bring in. Now that again, assumes that it's all in your hands. But I found personally, even my first year out into practice that technicians actually played a huge role in the amount of money I was able to bring in as a veterinarian. So if I had a technician who was just gangbusters about educating our clients and getting them on board with preventive care before I ever even walked into the room, my production was almost twice as high as if I had a technician who was brand new right out of vet tech school who maybe didn't have as much experience having those conversations. Well, and again, full disclosure, I never paid any veterinarian that it was employed by me on a pro sal or production base because I don't think I think it incentivizes them to to focus on the charges. And for a profession, Becky, that says it's not about the money, that makes it entirely about the money. Yeah. But Becky, I want to rope you into it because this is something I experienced as a consultant early in my career. So now we're going back 20 years. And I was visiting a clinic out west and um really a high producing, fabulous clinic. And I was going through some of their, you know, financials and looking at all this stuff. And there was one veterinarian who was outpacing everybody else. And so Cindy, this guy was like, you know, 15, 20% above gross production of any other vet. So I was like, wow, that's amazing. I've got to meet this guy, you know, blah, blah. And it happened to be a, a male, but that, that it doesn't have anything to do with this conversation, but it, it did happen to be a male, which I think potentially has influence other places. But I go into the clinic and I'm on the clinic visit. And so I'm starting to, to talk to the receptionist, technicians and whatever. And I was like, wow, well, tell me about Dr. X, you know? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, he's, he's really, he's really good vet. Okay, great. Um, talk to the associate vets to a person. They hated this person. And I was like, why? It's like, oh, because he's gaming the system. And I was like, wait, what do you mean he's gaming the system? He says, well, he is best buddies with the receptionist. And what he does, he brings them flowers and chocolates and donuts and all this stuff. And every time that they get a complex medical case, they shuttle it to him first. So there's all this dissension and discord within the team. But Cindy, you've seen these types of games and you can see how clearly a person who is smart would just go, hey, like you said, I want to control the technician or the receptionist who's doing the appointments. I mean, have you ever encountered anything like that? Yeah. You know, I've been lucky that it's been much more mild than that. I don't think it's ever gone to that extreme, but there definitely is concern, confusion about, you know, when we do a case together, who gets which charges allocated to them. Um, If there are mistakes with charges, which often happens, we're in a busy practice. Sometimes it doesn't get assigned to the right doctor. It can lead to a lot of tension. And we know that when there are toxic behaviors in a workplace, there's this crazy study done in NICU nurses that negative feedback as opposed to neutral feedback 
cause people to work together three times less often. Now, this wasn't done. It was a simulation. There weren't actual babies involved. But we know in medicine that we have to be able to work together, that that's essential for patient health. So I get really concerned about the implications of this. Right. And I know, Cindy, we're going to touch on this later, but we, you and I at least, certainly have seen and and believe that it disincentivizes people to collaborate. Because just like you said, it's like, well, if I go ask Mary, my associate, uh, another veterinarian, for her help on this case, do I then have to split the, the revenue with her? Like it gets really tricky and it doesn't foster that environment of everybody being open and saying, hey, can you help me with this? Can you do this or whatever? Becky, let's flip this back though. This is really not something that has been applied largely to technicians. In fact, you know, one of the things that, that I've always promoted are sort of, sort of you, you get into sort of these profit sharing, you know, mechanisms, but, but what about technicians? Why are you guys left out of this loop? Well, I'm not sure exactly because I haven't had as much experience with it on the technician side, as far as um, incentivized pay for technicians. I do know um, one clinic here in Leland that does do incentivized pay for his staff. And um, what he basically does is just adds a little bonus for every technical skill that they do. So for every radiograph they shoot or for every blood work they run, they they maybe get 25 cents or 50 cents or whatever it is. And and I think for him and what I see work for him and and it has he has great retention and his technicians seem to enjoy it is that when your veterinarians are running you ragged, you're getting paid well for it. So when your veterinarian wants all the blood work and all the testing and all the diagnostics it does affect your pay as well. And I think it's a positive thing because when I've worked with graduates, new graduates who come in and they are on production pay, I do think there are times when the the support staff gets overwhelmed that they start to think, you know, you're just doing this for money. And I have already have eight fecals to read and four blood works to run and patients going under surgery soon. Now I have to worry about this one more thing that you need. Well, let me flip that because, you know, I, I've heard these types of arguments made for support staff and for veterinary professionals and or veterinarians. And and here's where I have a real problem with it, because when you start to to say this is how you're going to get paid and, you know, and, and believe it or not, this actually originates back in like steel production production line. They used to call it piecework pay. So basically the number of widgets you made a day, that's what you you got at the end of the day. Right. So you made more widgets, you made more money. You didn't want to work make business, you don't get a lot of money. So the, the problem I have with this is a, there's this inherent pressure to produce more. So I think that can ha- be problematic for us because does it lead us to order unnecessary tests or procedures? And number two, it really encourages that, that vet tech to go, Oh my gosh, I've got to do more. I've, I'm not, I haven't done enough x-rays. And actually what they found in some of the piecework studies back in production line days is that people would then gravitate towards the higher production jobs. So they would, they would go to the things that paid them more. So if a radiograph gives you three times what a fecal does, you weren't doing as many fecals. You were kind of holding out for the, the radiographs. It's, it's a, this is a tricky wicket. Oh, absolutely. And I think in, in the particular circumstance where it is working in the practice here in town, it has more to do with, you know, the limited staff. You know, there's maybe one or two technicians working to each doctor. And um, it works for them in the sense of just making sure that when they have a busy week, they're getting a little bit more incentive for keeping up with that busy week. But I think you're right in in bigger pictures and bigger practices, it really can it can be detrimental and it can really lead to a competitive culture. And and there's so many issues that can come from it. So, Becky, do you feel like when 
the associates are on a production-based salary and technicians are not, that technicians sometimes end up bearing some of the brunt of frustration for veterinarians who are, who are trying to reach production. I feel like that's exactly what I'm saying in a lot of cases. And it doesn't, I don't think it's always the case, but I think it ends up being on the table a lot of times. And I think for, um, depending on the work culture, it's at least in the back of your head. And again, I think it causes trust issues that have a ripple effect. You know, do I trust that my veterinarian really needs all of these tests or could we do, you know, one of these diagnostics ahead of time? I think it depends on too, you know, the importance of having your clinic protocols in place. Because when you have strict protocols of how, you do things then then that question doesn't come into play uh, but it, it, it comes back to my mind like some of the corporate models where certain testing is required um, when you're not able to just work from your heart and work from your experience and instead these factors get put on the table again I, I do think support staff kind of takes the brunt of that or at least kind of has to question it Wow, Cindy, that's an amazing point. Becky, just to clarify, because I have heard this, but not as directly as perhaps you're saying, but what you're actually telling us is that you're, as a technician, support staff, sometimes you're questioning the veracity of these tests or procedures because you're going, maybe they need some extra money this month. A hundred percent. Yes, I've had that experience myself. And and you hate to say that. Um and, and I, I've made that same comment in regards to new graduates in a lot of cases where I just feel like sometimes they have to have all of the diagnostics to feel confident in their decision. And right. so that is also on the table. So I don't want to say blank, blank slate, this is how you feel. But in my in the back of my head, I have absolutely thought to myself, is this about money? Is this about a need for diagnostics? Or is this about the patient? And I hate having to question that. Yeah. And I've been on the other end of that as a new graduate. And I think it's just very toxic for the entire team relationship because you don't feel like your decisions are about money. And so having your team not be able to put their whole heart into backing you up on your recommendation, it's, it's just destructive for everybody. Wow. That is an amazing insight. And you know, actually, I hadn't quite looked at it from that perspective Wow. Thank you both for sharing that. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the big thing that comes up for me is the question of, are there other ways to recognize and reward team members other than this specific piecemeal type production system? Um, because I, I feel like there are a lot of other models out there. So there are places that are doing profit sharing. So right. instead of focusing on just individual cases, where, okay, well, we've got to do more x-rays and we've got to do more fecals. Let's talk about how the practice is performing in general. We have places that look year to year at performance and kind of change base salaries based on the yearly performance. We have places like the Human Mayo Clinic that determines that everybody gets an equal and fair salary depending on their their years of experience. Once you have a certain number of years of experience, everybody, everybody gets paid the same generous but fair flat salary. So it just makes me think about, is this particular way of doing it the best way of doing it? Right. And and this goes back to one of the the severe limitations of practice management to date. And that is vets just haven't been running their practices in a business fashion. And so when you run your practice by a budget, these answers become very clear. Like, you know, exactly how much money you can, you can pay a veterinarian, right? And it's not as, it is a complicated calculus, but it's, it's no more 
you know, complicated than actually getting a production-based scheme that works. Um, and I will tell you, if you're listening today, really production-based pay, pro-sal, whatever we want to call it, breaks off into one of two very different and distinct ways. One is a very simple version, and that is what a lot of clinics do, and that is you get X number amount of your total revenue. And a lot of people just do that because it's easy. The other becomes incredibly complicated because you've seen this, Cindy, you get X percentage of food sales, you get X percentage of spay neuter, you get X percentage of, you know, uh, uh, chronic medications, right? I mean, it gets, and, and that is, and vets don't actually do a good job with that, you know? So again, how do you keep track of that? How do you keep track of it? Oh gosh. Yeah, it, it gets very confusing and it feels like you're being nickeled and dimed. It feels like Right. Okay. Well, did you want to incentivize me or not? Or are you trying to incentivize me in some other direction? Or it gets very confusing. I think there's always some sort of lack of confidence to, you know, it's, it's hard to not know what you're going to make. And, you know, well, Christmas is coming and we know people aren't going to be doing these things. And at the end of the day, I would like to believe it, it doesn't become about money, but, but we know there's no way it can't be. And, you know, this one more test or if we just go ahead and do this one, I, I have to imagine there's no way to keep that completely out of your head altogether as you're making decisions about diagnostics and your treatment plans and how you're going to move forward. And it just doesn't ever feel like that's the best thing for our patients. And so I think there's a lack of security for the person who is receiving that kind of variability. And then there's an uncertainty on the behalf of our clients who who don't know um, if that is the backing. And, and there has to be a trust issue with that. I, I can't help but think there is. Becky, you just went to my next point and probably the most important. How would your clients feel if they knew that that doctor was being incentivized to to for that bill. I can tell you, they go nuts. Well, I think they they think it is the case. That's what they think now, and that right. just proves their point. And then it reiterates what they feel like they already knew. And I know that's a stigma throughout a lot of industries. You know, the car industry got it for a while. You know, you're you're not actually changing out my parts, and you're charging me. And there's trust issues, and we all experience them, and our clients are experiencing them as well. And there would be no way to look them in the eye and say that money had nothing to do with why I chose to do this test. And I'm surprised that more people don't use that as a competitive advantage. Practices that are paying on a flat salary, I mean, if I were them, I would be trying to say that to say like, just so you know, we're paid on a flat salary. So I don't get paid more just because you decided to do more tests on your pet. I can tell you, I've heard my veterinarians over the years say that exact theme whenever they were confronted. Because, you know, let's face it, we do have those those heated exchanges with clients from time to time. And it was just one other thing when they started saying, you know, I bet you made so much money off my dog. You know, it's like, ma'am, I'm paid a flat salary and I don't get anything more or less based on how I treat your dog. That it, it, is, it is so much of a relief, I think, you know. Oh, it's absolutely true. And I can remember years ago when a, a local car dealership started doing that, they didn't pay on commission and they made that part of their advertisement. And while I was not in the market for a car, I remember thinking I would trust that I would trust that salesman knowing that they they don't make money just because they sell me something or not. And and our clients should never feel that way about healthcare. I can't imagine thinking, oh, I wonder if my doctor is doing this just for the money. Right. Uh, Becky, I do want to I do want to ask one thing that you, you brought up and I've heard this before and actually Cindy, you, you, you brought it up first, but that is this, this issue around the bonus and the, the somehow subtraction if you don't meet certain metrics or benchmarks. You know, um, one of the things that I've always fought against are giving these like Christmas bonuses because based, you know, 
people, if you don't give a Christmas bonus, let's say you have a lousy year, then people feel like you gave them a pay cut. So I think there's some psychological risk there with, with these types of bonuses. But Becky, what about the, those technicians and these young associate doctors when they didn't get certain bonus or production excess, you know, did, how did they react when you were talking to them in private in the back? You know, it's not a conversation I've had a lot of times with them because I think there's a sense of failure, right? And so this mm, is something we wow. probably internalize. We don't march around saying we didn't make production. The conversation starts to be with so many veterinarians. I know I'm not a good vet. Obviously, I'm not working yeah. hard enough. I'm not doing the right things. And I think based on the personality of so many veterinarians that I know, uh, unfortunately, and support staff as well, it starts to become about what they didn't do right and why they couldn't hit it and why they're not good enough because it's a it's a, a benchmark that they couldn't meet. And that is how our upcoming veterinarians are so often held themselves to perfection always and they're really hard on themselves. And most of the time, I think they internalize it. Cindy, do you think in some way this is leading or contributing to burnout, compassion fatigue, imposter syndrome? Yeah, you know, I think we're seeing general trends across the profession and especially during the recession, we were seeing them where, you know, we had heard that veterinary medicine was recession proof, but then veterinary professions across the board, many of them were performing more poorly or people were spending less money or fewer people were coming in with their pets to the veterinarian. But if you're on a production-based salary, it's very tempting to think that, well, this is my fault because I'm supposed to be in control of this. And when you have that sense of agency and your student loans are going up and you're feeling squeezed from both sides where you're, you have to pay these bills, but you're maybe feeling blamed by your clinic for not bringing in the salary that you expected. It's a very tough situation to be in. And I have to say, I have worked in clinics before that set monthly goals and quarterly goals. And when they're met, everyone receives uh, not always a profit sharing, um, but maybe a gift card or some kind of gift within X amount of dollars. And it was a really reasonable, attainable gift. It wasn't something that drove our everyday production, but it was something in the back of our mind as a, yes, we hit goal. Um, And it created a very positive environment. So I think there are wonderful ways to incentivize your staff as a whole, all together to increase teamwork, to help them increase accountability to the overall profitability of the clinic. So think about things like not just wasting syringes and paying attention to the supplies that you're using and the overall cost of what it takes to run a clinic on a day-to-day basis with the incentive and with the goal of spending and making a certain amount of money and everyone walks away with a little pat on the back and, and you know, maybe $50 gift card because of it. And it was a really positive thing. So I think there are great ways to do this so that the clinic works together and gets incentivized um, and is has awareness without creating this kind of animosity. Yeah. There's one specific thing I've heard about production-based salary that I want to make sure to address. And, and that particular thing I had heard was Production-based salary was a way to make sure that there was not gender discrimination in salaries. And that makes me very, very concerned because at least the data on the human side suggests that human doctors, human physicians, women in general tend to have better outcomes. So they tend to have um, patients who are more compliant with their recommendations and they have better health outcomes. But they find that male physicians are the most productive in terms of producing revenue, which makes me say that maybe there is something about how we are practicing medicine where making more money does not necessarily always equal doing better medicine. The other piece of this is that 
I hate to say it, but we cannot always rely on our clients to be unbiased. I just had somebody, you know, sharing stories about clients calling ahead of time and wanting to know about whether someone who had a foreign sounding name had an accent. Yep. So these kind of things could play into clients' willingness to see certain doctors at the practice, their willingness to take that individual's recommendations, how much time that person has to put into getting the client to accept their recommendations, and all of those things can affect that individual's production. So I I would ask, are we in good conscience willing to allow client biases to then impact our employees' salaries? Is that something that we feel is ethical? I, I don't think it is personally. And I think that could be contributing to some of the gender gap here in veterinary medicine. I, I, I'm so glad you brought that up. We're not saying we have all the answers. We're just saying this is a topic that isn't addressed probably in these candid terms because people do make it about the black and the white, the ledger sheet, the profit and the loss at the end of the year. And this is a much more complex and I would say more impactful discussion than just this is you earned it you got it this is the end of the story but cindy i will tell you this um you know i was opposed to that when when this this sentiment started coming up saying hey look the way you know look if you want to say men and women get the same pay then just pay them on production that we don't have to worry about it it kind of went back to that same failing the eyeball test that meant that the boss didn't have to look across at the male or the female and say this is what you know we can pay you and why and and i will always I will always base this foundation on a, I, as a boss, as an owner, it is my obligation and duty to you to run my business profitably so that I can pay you fairly and well. Number two, I don't ever want you to feel the financial pressure that I do. That is my responsibility as the boss, as the owner. Now, I will reap financial rewards for that. So don't get me wrong. I'm going to get paid for that stress, but I would never, ever, ever ever wanted to pass on that. And even though, Becky, we shared our our data, our gross revenue, you know, our expenses and so forth, we never made that about part of your compensation package because we felt like we wanted you to do the best medicine, the best surgery, the best client service possible. Now, we did sort of say the re- way we can pay you is because of this revenue. But again, I think, Cindy, sadly, vets just sort of shirked that business responsibility and, and we never really felt comfortable. So we always look for the easy way And I don't blame us because we weren't trained in business, right? We were never given these experiences. We didn't take accounting and and leadership and and, and all these types of of experiences to lead us to this comfort level sitting across and giving the eyeball test and saying, this is what I can pay you. Absolutely. And I think that some of this is going to start biting people in the butt a little bit, especially as we right now have again, a little bit of an undersupply of veterinarians. We've had a continued undersupply of technicians. And so we have in people's minds this set idea of what amount of practice expenses should be going towards staff. But there's also that law of supply and demand. And so if people are very rigid in what they think they should or be paying people, they may not be able to pay the kind of salaries that get quality employees. So I think we should also make sure if you are going down that road, you don't get too stuck in your ways and realize that sometimes things change, times change, numbers change. And just because something's been seen as gospel for a long time doesn't mean that it will always be that way. We could go on and on about this topic. 
topic. For it sure. is a it is a very controversial one, but we want to hear what your experience is. What are your thoughts on production-based pay? I know that there are clinics out there that love it, and we want to hear your side of the story as well. But we also know that there are some potential pitfalls and perils. Hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up anonymously. You can send us a private message. We just want to keep this conversation going because at the end of the day, all three of us are here doing this on our own free time because we want to make our profession better. And and through Facebook as well, let us know if you have a slightly different model that seems to be working for you and your practice. We have an amazing collaborative profession and sharing innovation can make our whole profession better. So again, um, also you can share pictures of your happy or sad faces with your, <laughs> your current system. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. Please also leave us a review. You might have strong feelings about this podcast one way or the other. We hope you uh, reach out and let us know what your feelings are. Hopefully they're positive. And, and Apple iTunes is the best place to leave us a review. And don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Until next time, keep making that cheddar. Bye. 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 <laughs> cheddar, you know, like money. <laughs> I know. We <laughs> <Dad> <laughs>